Andrea. How are you today? I'm doing excellent. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad that you are willing to do this with me. I really appreciate that you are willing to ask me some questions about myself that maybe um, would be harder to interview myself, potentially. And uh, I look forward to revealing maybe some things about myself that maybe um, you don't know or that other people that are watching and listening would be curious to know about me. Um, you're a very curious person. So I can't wait to see the questions that you came up with. And so, yeah, Sierra is a client of mine. Um, we've been working together for about, since last spring, so almost a year now. Close. Yeah. So, um, and we have done multiple things together. We have, um, I met Sierra initially at a local fair here in Oregon and um, she came to my booth and I worked with her one-on-one -on -one in my booth. And then we talked about my retreat that was coming up and she really wanted to go and that was in Shasta. And uh, that was a really great retreat um, with um, an awesome co-facilitator here in Portland that I loved working with. And um, Sierra and I started doing the program that weekend, and then we did some follow-up one-on-one -on -one sessions with her primary caregivers. And when we finished with a lot of the individual one-on-one -on -one work, then uh, Sierra was, actually you were interested even back at the retreat about doing Reiki. And so we discussed her being attuned to Reiki 1. Um, she was attuned to Reiki 1. One, I think around July, August, something like that, right? Yeah. September? Maybe September. Okay. And then by that point, we talked about doing Reiki 2 together. That's right. And so um, she recently became attuned to Reiki 2. And so she's been practicing that as well in her life. And a lot has happened in her life, a lot of transitions yes. that we will talk about potentially. Um, today too so i'm excited to share um whatever you're willing to share too with anyone who's listening or who is watching so thank you for that because i asked i asked deep questions as you know um so thank you for your willingness so this is a little bit different of a format that i've never really done before but i'm interested in doing it more because i think it tells a lot more about who i am and what is important to me and why maybe i'm doing even this podcast and all of that so should i let you begin yeah yeah are begin. you ready i'm ready so do you want to start with the rapid fire or the regular question oh jesus um, I don't know. What do you recommend? Okay, let's start with the regular questions. So I'm here with Andrea Love, psychic cheerleader. And uh, let's start with where are you from and where are you thriving now? Ooh, okay. Where am I from? I am originally from Southern California, 
Um, I grew up there in the 70s um, in rural southern Orange County. And um, where I grew up was um, pretty isolated. Um, we drove by strawberry fields and orange groves still. Um, and not a lot of the building that is in Orange County was there yet. So I kind of watched that area develop and I grew up on a hill of custom homes that were that my parents like rubbed two nickels together they would say and barely scraped in because they really wanted some land for us and they um they bought a home on an acre and a half of property and um we had uh, every kind of animal um, at the house so i kind of grew up on a little miniature farm ish we didn't have any um we didn't have pigs, we didn't have cattle, but we had, my sisters wanted them, but we had horses, and I used to think that I was a little, um, um, little house in the prairie, we used to pre pretend that quite often, because it was the 80s by then, probably, so I was wearing, like, the Getty Sacks dress, and yeah, so I used to think that I was, like, out in the prairie. Um, I was super dreamy as a kid, really super dreamy. And I would talk to the flowers and have conversations with the trees and get lost in nature all the time. And um, my family was always kind of pulling me out of that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that's where I grew up. And then what was the second part of the question? And where are you thriving now? Oh, where am I, oh, where am I thriving now? I'm here in Portland, Oregon. Um, that's a whole story in itself, of course. Um, you get a story for everything. Um, okay, so Portland was on the map initially because I had a best friend and a birthing partner. She was so many things for me um, in the Bay Area. I went to college with her, and she ended up moving here after college. And I got back in touch with her much later in life, and I would come up here to visit her here in Portland, Oregon. And every time I would come visit her and her husband, I would fall in love with Portland. We would have so much fun. We would joke around. We would um, go see all these cute little neighborhoods and all these really cool independent shops and eat great food. And I just loved all of her friends, and I loved the nature, and I loved the people, and I I was so excited every time I would come up here and then I would go down to where we lived in the Bay Area and it's not like and I didn't know about astrocartography at that time but it's not like I looked at San Francisco as a bad place it's just my life was so different there it was um like the antithesis of what it is now um it was you know I was an executive assistant or like a senior office manager in the Bay Area working in tech or VC firms and I was working anywhere from 40 to 60 hours a week and I was doing all kinds of things um in my personal life that I don't necessarily do anymore and so I lived a very very different lifestyle and I was craving a way out of it. And so Portland um, became a safe haven for me in a lot of ways. I just felt a lot better when I was here. Every time I came here, it felt really safe. And I was looking for safety in my life. I've been trying to create that, I think, for most of my life. 
And so um, safety and security. So I moved here for that reason. And I came up with a plan, which is very, very typical of me. Um, I came up with a plan and I didn't know all of the pieces yet, but I started to dream about what it would be like to live here and all of the pieces kind of fell into place over time and it wasn't easy to get here um, but eventually I did make it here. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful journey. <laughs> Thanks! <laughs> and from rainy place to rainy place really. I mean San well, Francisco right? The Bay Area? It's not super rainy, to be completely honest, actually, I think more than anything that people are surprised about is how uh, not nice the weather is. I wouldn't say it's particularly rainy. It does rain, but California rain, Northern California rain is more like spit in comparison to Pacific Northwest rain. Pacific Northwest rain, every direction. It comes from every direction. The only thing that's going to shade you is potentially one of those, you know, Columbia jackets that you have to own by the time you live here. Otherwise, you just, you admit that you just want mist on your face when you walk around. I mean, it's one of the two, and your glasses are going to always be wet if you wear them. So it's one of the two, because people here do not use umbrellas. That is very unfashionable, even though they're super cute, and I particularly love them. No, no, no. No umbrellas here, because that means you're from somewhere else. And so... (laughs) In order to fit in, you need to have a Columbia jacket. But the point is, okay, um, no, the Bay Area is, it's it's rainy, but we're, let's, global warming, let's be honest. It's not as rainy as it was like 20 years ago when I went to college there. And I would say that above San Francisco is more rainy. Okay. Like Sonoma County, where I went to college, absolutely. Uh, you could drown in the rain and <laughs> maybe not so much anymore. But the point is, is you could when I lived there and uh, San Francisco itself um, is more like windy and cold and people don't get that. They show up in the middle of the summer and they are like in shorts and a tank top and yeah, they're, they're thinking. Weird. And if you go to the Bay Area, like if you go to the Bay Area outside of San Francisco to the other side, like Oakland and the East Bay out on the other side, it's going to be, it's going to be 90 degrees or whatever. Right. But then you get to San Francisco. Now I lived on the side of San Francisco that actually was on what's considered the Bay side so Oakland was directly across from me and not like I could see it in the distance but like it was on the other side and that side is particularly warmer and it's interesting because just like Portland has little eco um, systems of climates Uh, same thing with San Francisco so we lived on the sunnier side because I couldn't have handled the like uh, the other side where you know all the avenues are and um, Golden Gate Park and you know all those things I could not have handled that because the constant cloud cover right same thing with Seattle and so we made a concerted effort to find a place in San Francisco that I could survive because I need heat um, I'm from Southern California, and so like this Heat's is even in Portland, this is cold. Yeah, yeah, this is cold for me, and I've learned to have the right equipment to get through it. But and I have also learned that it really helps to have a trip planned somewhere warm in the middle, which I think I even taught you yes. in the middle of the winter because I go a little bit of bananas. This is probably as cold as they want to get. I dream of like living in Canada 
um, if they'll take me. But uh, ultimately, it's probably a no because I couldn't handle. You think you grew up? Tell me where you grew up again. I grew up in Oklahoma. Yes. So extremely, <laughs> extreme. Cold, like you don't like, leave. And this is like, oh, this is not cold to you. You're like, this is temperate. I'm this like, is, oh, what a nice mild winter. <laughs> I'm going to wear my leather jacket today. <laughs> no big deal. And I'm like bundled up for winter with a full length coat out there. So that's the difference, right? And so I'm always craving getting warmer for sure. More than anything, I love laying in the sun. I absolutely, that, you know, that's like how I grew up. Well, but, we have that in common. Mm-hmm. I love laying in the sun, but I re- recognize that it's not as good for me. <laughs> yeah, not so great for you, but, mm-hmm. Well, what is a psychic cheerleader and how is that great for us? Oh, my God. Okay, so what is a psychic cheerleader? I've been asked this question many times. Okay, so a psychic cheerleader is essentially somebody who, well, it wasn't an, how about this? I didn't come up with the term. The term itself and the moniker, do you know the story? Have I told you? I don't think I do. Okay, well, then this is great. Um, Okay, so when I moved to Portland, when I fell in love with Portland, I finally got my ass up here, um, I researched a bunch of different psychics and astrologers and people in the metaphysical community that were here because it was dying to to work in this field. And I wanted to uh, know the best people that were here and experience their Uh, gifts in person. So one of the people that I came to see was um, Miss Renee Healing, and she's up in um, North Portland. And I saw her when I first got here. And she is an astrologer and also a channeler. And so she, and she's very well known here. So she saw my chart and she said, if I was going through hell, I would want you by my side. You are a psychic cheerleader. And I thought it was funny. And I started calling myself that and talking about it with my friends because I felt like it was the best way to describe. Well, I guess it was consensus. It was the best way to describe what it was that I am or what I do. So I think that I've been doing this my entire life, and I didn't really realize that it was something that was special or unique. I thought everybody was doing it too, and come to realize that no, really, my intuitive gifts are much stronger than most people. I just didn't have any necessary instruction for it, and, um, you know, I have a theory about psychic or intuitive gifts, like they tend to or at least my experience of them, they tend to come on a lot stronger in um, families of abuse because we use our intuitive senses in a way to help us survive or be more protected in that environment. So they tend to get more enhanced. We tend to need to know clairsentience because when we walk into a room, maybe something dangerous did just happen in that room, right? So, uh, or perceived danger too right as a kid but the point being is um so I and then I you know 
I do have a lot of water on my chart. I have a lot of Pisces in my chart. I'm more Pisces, even though I'm a November birthday, I'm more Pisces than I'm actually Scorpio, which is very interesting. And I didn't know that until more recently in my life. So I do have a lot of psychic abilities and that probably going back to that story of me living up on a hill and, um, you know, just talking to all of the animals that just was like who I was. No one taught me to do that. I was just always in conversation with the world. And so it was really annoying for my family. <laughs> They're always like, hurry up. <laughs> Who, what are you doing right now? Where's <laughs> your head at? What yeah, get, come, Andrea, Andrea. <laughs> yeah, so I could see how that'd be really annoying um, having a kid like me. But either way, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I was born into a family that was not so um, up on the, uh, psychic abilities. And so I just didn't realize that that was anything special. I mean, my mom used to tell me I was special when I was a kid, but I don't know what, that her version of it is necessarily that. So what is a psychic tutor or what do I do, right? So I'm essentially a life coach, but... I use my psychic abilities in combination with a background in trauma psychology and I blend the two because I feel like if I'm able to teach you what is going on in your body and in your mind and in your spirit, um, if I can tell you how to shift in those three areas of your life, you actually will have a transformative process. So hopefully I can get in in one of those ways and you're curious about that and so I think that makes me unusual as a psychic. Generally, I'm not necessarily giving people readings. Um, and that's a common misconception because people don't always understand all of the different clairs and the abilities and who does what and what that's about. And maybe that's one of your questions. I don't know. But um, so did I answer? Did I even answer the question? <laughs> I'm going to do that a lot. <laughs> I think that you answered it. Yeah. Where did it come from? Why, why do we call you that? Okay. What's yes. the vibe of that? Yeah, that's the vibe. The vibe is it's a moniker that somebody else gave to me that kind of stuck. And um, I feel like it's, a, you know, either people really get it. Um, and they think it's really funny or they think it is once they know me, they're like, it's a pretty good description of who you are. So, yeah, that's how it's come about. So it's very much a soul business. It is very much who you are and not just a title. Mm, I mean, like, no, I think it is who I am. Yeah, it's who you are. <laughs> yeah. like, it's a title. It's not just like, yeah. oh, I do this thing. It's this is who I am. Oh, yeah, this is just who I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, and I don't just like five. clock into work yes. and then clock back out of work. Although to my mom, that would seem more like a real job for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Parents. <laughs> Are we going to get into that? We might. Okay. I don't know what your questions are for you. Mm, yes. Okay. So speaking of your questions. Yeah. What inspired you to create this podcast? Aw. Okay. So, so many things. I had a podcast called Brilliance Through Resilience, which I think you listened to. I did. 
Um, and thank you for that. Um, I'm always appreciative of anyone who spends their time listening to the things that I think are interesting and relevant, right? But more than anything, um, I loved, I started doing podcasting because I love interviews. I went to school as an English major and creative writing minor, and I thought I was going to go into editing and publishing. And right when I got out of college, um, I went to go get my resume written and I had no experience except for like working at restaurants and in fine dining and like um, catering over in Napa Valley and so I was trying to get into the industry and the woman writing my resume there in the 90s looked at me and said do you feel like moving to New York and I said no I just moved to San Francisco and she said well then you should probably give up editing and publishing and I was like Oh, I just gotten my degree. Now, I was too young to think, mm, maybe I should get somebody else's advice. But the point is, is I took hers. And so I gave up on that dream and I became an administrative assistant instead because she told me that at least I had enough experience on my resume to probably get a job in that field. So... I did that route, and I didn't go into editing and publishing. Um, I did have one job during college that was for a small press that I'm quite um, proud of, um, Black Sparrow Press up in Santa Rosa, that um, published Charles Bukowski. So um, so I got um, some experience, and I was totally in. I really wanted to do it. I just didn't have the balls to move to New York, and my mom had me convinced um, that I would not be successful the further away she got, uh, the further away I got from her. So I was very afraid of leaving any further than I already was. And I didn't take a chance on myself. And so, um, where am I going with this? We're going to, <laughs> why did you create this podcast? Oh, God. I'm not even close to that. Okay, so um, anyways, I really have always loved stories of the human condition, even when I was a kid. And I've always been trying to help people, right, with their own story. And so um, I love listening to podcasts that have stories of people's lives or have um, uh, shades of humanity in them, right? And so I... Um, I started Brilliance Through Resilience initially when I started my business. Um, I have a good friend in the Bay Area that um, recommended starting three projects at once. And when I was trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do next when I moved to Portland. And so um, he called his projects... Um, Papa Bear, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear. And so uh, I was amused by his story and his advice. He's very, very, he's um, pretty well known in the barrier. But either way, he um, gave me this advice. And I decided that one of the projects that I wanted to do that I'd never had the balls to do was to do a podcast. Um, up until this point, I'd always done um, like online interviews or published on online publications or done work in that way. And I love doing interviews. So 
Um, that's really what was initially motivated to get me into podcasting. And so I started Brilliance Through Resilience and I only did one series of 10. I didn't even, I don't even think I published all of them. Right. And so, um, I was doing all of the work myself and I taught myself like what microphone to use. And, you know, like I didn't know anybody who, uh, knew anything about it. I just moved to Portland. So I was still trying to get to know people here and just trying to figure it out on my own and figure it out online. And so I bought whatever equipment I thought I needed, which was pretty laughable now looking back. And, um, I, you know, I think, okay. So then (laughs) it's a long story. Sorry. So then, um, You know, I was here in Portland, I think the first or second year that I lived here, and I was seated at a live broadcast of someone else's podcast. I ended up there because my ex-husband and his sister, who lives up in Seattle, and her two daughters came down to go see one of her favorite podcasts on stage, and she invited us. And so we were sitting over in Southeast at a really cool location that I can't think of the name of right now. And we were sitting in the audience and this famous woman who's doing this podcast, who's really funny, is sitting on stage. And all of a sudden her sound engineer comes out on stage and I'm midway probably like on episode third or fourth or whatever and trying to figure this out all on my own. And she goes, that's my sound editor, sound engineer. And he just came up with all my questions. And she's like talking about how amazing working with someone was. And I was like, one day I really want some help with this. Cause it's, I don't think people realize how much work a podcast actually is. It's so much work. And so, um, I, you know, put that out to the universe. And then uh, about mm, a a little over a year ago, I had done numerous podcasts and been on other people's podcasts as well for interviews. And I really like doing that too. And so I ran into somebody here in Portland who reached out to me to do a podcast here. Um, His name is Cody Maxwell. And um, he was already doing all of this work in his real life. This is what he does. And so um, when I first met him, I was obviously very excited for a number of reasons. But one of them being is that I told him if he was ever interested in um, like cohabitating in a space together in the sense of building um, my podcast again and helping me with it, would he ever consider going um, in together as a business? And he um, considered that for this last year. And then when that was a possibility, we both opened up our studio here called podcast studios in Southeast on um, Southeast division street in Portland. And, and so, um, that is why I got into podcasting. Now, why did I create loving everything? 
or why is it called Living Everything or why is it different branding? So um, you mentioned Andrea Love at the beginning. A number of things have changed for me in this last year specifically, mostly that I'm going through a divorce or have been going through a divorce. And so I have been in the process of renaming myself in some ways. And um, I've also gotten to a place in my life where I realized that how I love people is pretty unique to me and that more than anything, when I am working with people, I teach them how to love themselves again. And so um, I've really come to a place in my life where I've had to learn how to love everything that comes up. And I think it's also really, it's a great I think that ultimately it just describes how I'm trying to be in the world and how I would like more people to be in the world. And if I can show maybe examples of that for more people, I think that is truly where this podcast comes from. I mean, I love doing interviews. I love getting to know people. I love hearing your story. That's why I do the work that I do. But also if I can help other people in your story or something that we discover together, or if we can, you know, if I can help other people love aspects of themselves by listening in right now or watching us, then that's my ultimate goal. So my ultimate goal is to teach other people how to love everything more in their lives, including everything that they come in contact with on a day-to-day basis. Very deep, detailed response. I love it. Long. I love it. I mean, hey, you want some background? You want some information? It's great. Yeah, I'm just trying to be honest. Hey, and real. <laughs> That's what this is about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what are you most excited for in 2023? Hmm. I think for me, 2023 is two things. I think it's freedom and it's discernment. Um, at least in my particular life, um, I'm hoping to, um, really be able to expand who I am as a person. I really feel like I'm gone through a huge transformation in the last couple of years, but specifically this last year changed a lot. And so I'm looking forward to what it feels like to not be in the relationship that I was in for 22 years of my life. And and that was a pretty big story. That was a huge story arc. Um, and so <clears throat> that gives me ultimate freedom to create exactly what I want my life to look like. And I've been here many times in my life. I think that's also kind of what I'm known for is being able to reinvent from scratch or starting completely over again. I've had to do that multiple times. That's a theme for me. So I'm looking forward to that freedom because in that freedom, I get to truly expand and um, grow parts of me that have been either afraid or not uh, maybe as mature or I just, 
I'm looking forward to the expansive process of what it looks like to not be in this relationship that I've been in for a really long time. And then discernment. I think that more than anything over the course of my life, I'm pretty open. I'm very open to experiences. I'm very open to a lot of things. And I think that has to do with being raised with absolutely zero boundaries. So, and then being all water, just wanting to experience all kinds of things and not saying no, I don't have a habit of really saying no. And so I've been learning as I get older to say no to things. And so having good discernment about what is right for me at this point and asking for more than I've ever asked for as um, a huge learning curve for me as well, too, because I've, I've really broken through some huge wounding patterns and um, I have way more compassion for who I am and um where am I going with that I guess I was talking about discernment and and who I was going to let in I find that um as I get older I get better at understanding who is um supportive of me and who is truly loving me and who is um really worth my time and energy and having good boundaries around that because I used to try and save everyone and I can't so I've had to learn that <laughs> sounds like an exciting year <laughs> was that the answer you were hoping you would get I came in with no expectations I'm totally teasing you I'm just trying to keep it light because I keep going dark so what is one thing that listeners should know about you? Mm, goodness. Uh, hmm. Just one thing. Just one thing, which might prove a little difficult. Um, what should they know about me? What do you think they should know about me? There's so much to know. There is so much to know. What's one thing that you think would encourage people... Oh, to, like, work with me? Well, to work with you or um, Come do be podcast. curious about learning more about you. Mm. What would you want Well, I think... God, that's like asking you to write your own resume. Um, okay, so... Um, well, hopefully they connect to my energy or they connect to the fact that I'm going to be real with them or that they connect to a part of my story and they feel at home. I think people are looking to feel at home in their bodies and in their minds and in their hearts. And I know that I have the tools to help you feel more at home or to make you feel not make you but help you feel more neutral about your environment and about your everyday um less reactive how about that i provide a neutral space for other people to heal i know that i think one of um the things that's really 
unique or special to me is that I provide a very neutral and non-judgmental space for you to be able to finally see yourself clearly and to be able to heal the parts of you that maybe were shamed or judged or manipulated, emotionally manipulated in some way or, um, yeah, not seen clearly. Mm-hmm. So hopefully people would want to work with me because they're in a place where they want to see things really clearly for the first time in their life and they're not afraid anymore that maybe if they just had companionship to do that process with somebody that they trusted and that could provide a space for them that felt safe and secure for the first time in their life in that area then they would be able to heal that themselves. So I really want to partner people in their ability to heal because I, more than anything, can't stand how much suffering is going on in the world. And so that's what I really feel my calling is, is to help other people with their suffering. I'm trying to think of a good transition to <laughs> rapid fire. Oh uh, my god, from there? From there. Oh, Jesus. Um, you can ask me any other questions. You don't have to go into your script. Well, um, so along the lines of helping others, um, kind of alleviating some of that suffering, showing others how to alleviate it for themselves, um, giving them the tools, what's a common myth? Um, about your field of work? Oh my God, there are so many. Thank you for bringing that up. Okay, so along the lines of not knowing your clairs too, because not everybody's educated in that and I don't expect them to be at all. And if they don't even want to know, I'm not here to push any information on anyone when I work with them. But definitely we have all these different abilities, psychic abilities, okay? And they're called your clairs because each word starts with clair, okay? So clairvoyant is your ability to clearly see through your third eye, which is in between your eyebrows, right behind your eyebrows, in the center of your brain, right where your pineal gland is, okay? Maybe I'm pronouncing it incorrectly for other people, but your pineal gland. The point is, your imagination, the place that you create things in your mind, the place that when you close your eyes in meditation, you potentially see other things, okay? Or when I have you close your eyes and I say, picture a lemon, and you picture one hanging on a tree, and I picture one on the counter, that's our imagination that's using our pineal gland. That is the basis for clairvoyance, okay? That right there, your imagination, Okay, so that's kind of hard for people to grasp, right? Well, if I'm just making things up in my head, then how can it really be true? Now, that's just the basics of clairvoyance, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you don't continue to develop that imagination, you won't be able to see things that aren't, that can't be proven in real life, right? Okay, so that's developing that ability more, okay? And there are people who do that, and they are called psychics that give you a reading, okay? And what they're reading on you is essentially they are looking with their pineal gland 
and they are being sent images based upon either what their higher self is telling them or potentially if they work with other guides in their spirit team, their spirit team is giving them pictures or information that way, or they might see it on you. For instance, if you start telling them something, they might see liar on your forehead, okay? They start seeing things in their mind's eye. Is it written on your forehead? No, but it's inside. I can see it in my imagination. Okay, so they will get messages in different ways that most people would just use their regular eyes to see, okay? So that's that ability, okay? So some people can give a psychic reading, and I have gone to school for that. I don't prefer to do that. Do I get information that way? Yes, I get information that way all the time, but I'm not always on. I'm not always analyzing everybody, and I am not constantly trying to read people although it's pretty easy for me to do. And that's not the first sense. Clairvoyance was not my first intuitive ability that came alive, at least in my experience, although I am very visual, hence the whole conversations with animals and plants and kinds of stuff when I was a kid. Okay, so I do have imagination. Now, that being said, there are other abilities. There's Clear audience. Now, clear audience is the last to come online usually. Okay. The reason why clear audience is the last to come online is because it has to do with your chakras in your body. They all do, but your chakras in your ears are connected to your throat. Okay, and on the back side of your chakras, where you receive energy and the energy flows through your body and goes out the front of you, especially when you express yourself. Um, this is called the mouth of God, okay, on the back of your throat chakra because it's where you listen for God and it comes through the back of you right here. Because if you've ever had a neck injury, I have. If you've ever had a neck injury, um, whiplash injury, anything like that, that's going to affect that. Also, what's going to affect your throat chakra is anything that you do that goes through your throat chakra. So eating, drinking something hot or cold is going to make that energy center constrict or get open. The way I speak about somebody, the way I speak about anything is going to affect whether or not this energy center closes or opens, okay? Because that energy either flows out or it gets stuck here. And that's what also a clairvoyant is doing, too. They're reading your body, and they're seeing things that are also stuck in your system, too. Okay? So they might see inside of you. Some are a medical intuitive. What would be considered a medical intuitive is somebody who uses their clairvoyance to see parts of your organs that maybe are inflamed or a dark spot on your lung. Or, okay, so they've really trained themselves to see parts in your body that most people are just kind of walking around using their eyes. Okay, so back to the clear audience. Clear audience is the last to come online because we're, let's be honest, we affect this more than anything all day long by what we do, right? You smoke, you do all, you drink alcohol, whatever you might do through this is always being affected. 
okay? So it's the last for people, and especially for people who don't express themselves, it's the last for people to be able to really truly develop if you're becoming a channeler. Okay, now that's somebody who has the ability to probably also use their clairvoyance as well and see the spirit that they're talking to, but at the same time is channeling information either from their higher self, which I do, as well as from their spirit team, okay, or from galaxies above that, okay? So um, different dimensions, okay, from a different dimension than ours. And they have the ability to do that because they raise their vibration in a way, besides we can talk about energy healing, right? But they raise their vibration in a way that their density doesn't stay in the same way when they're in communication, okay? So their density doesn't get in the way of their communication, how about that? So um, that is that ability, okay? And then there's clairsentience and there's clair, uh, claircognizance. Clairsentience is, if anybody's ever heard the, the word empath, okay, clairsentience is the ability to clearly feel in your body. So clearly feeling um, can be that you take on the energy of the room. Okay, so for somebody who didn't have a lot of boundaries and wasn't ever taught boundaries, I was very sick as a child. Not only did I hear that consistently from my family, but it was like, don't bring Andrea around the house because if you guys are sick, then she's going to get sick and everyone's going to get sick. And so I was always the person who was sick. Not only was I told that, but I also expected that, right? And then... Um, Essentially, I didn't have a lot of boundaries, and I was very intuitive, so I would take on the energy of the room. If people got upset around me, I would get upset, too. If someone, when I was pregnant, my a friend that lived here in Portland, she was going through a divorce. She would get really, I mean, not divorce, she was getting married, and she would get really worked up about it, and when I was pregnant, I was so sensitive. <laughs> I was so sensitive and I would throw up because she would get upset about stuff so like I would take on I didn't have very good boundaries and I would take on the energy of a room and that is clairsentience so I'm very very introverted and when I go into a room I know what's going on with everybody and I really have to protect myself back to that discernment because I can take a lot on it can take a lot on from you I think that's why people get so much healing from me is because I almost take it on with you and I help transmute it energetically and so you're not carrying it you're not carrying it anymore we've both gotten it out of the space and so I help that but I have to be very clear about clearing my own energy constantly and, and having good boundaries around that right and running my own energy a lot so okay so that's clairsentience that for me I think was probably that and clair cognizance were probably the strongest for me for a really long time when I was a kid. Claircognizance is the ability to clearly know. Okay. I am going somewhere with all of this, by the way. So claircognizance is the ability to clearly know. That is when you're telling me something, I know whether or not it's honest. Okay. And it's not just because I can read, you know, certain ticks on your body it's I can see truth in you on whether or not you're telling me the truth 
And I have been able to do that since I was a kid. I know truth. And so I would call people out on their stuff all the time, even adults, and it got me in trouble all the time. All the time. So I've always just... (sighs) You can't lie to me! And it's really probably irritating for most people. It's probably very hard to be in relationship with me, but you just can't lie. Like, I'm like, I get in your business about it. So it makes me really good at what I do. Um, so those abilities, okay, are misunderstood a lot because I think people think when it's, you know, out in the media, for instance, I think people think, okay, yes, there are charlatans and there are charlatans in every single field that there is, but I think people think psychics are in this special world and they have these abilities, which they do with practice, but they have these abilities that nobody else has, okay? And, like, we have misconceptions about what that might look like, right? Because the the stuff that we watch on TV, you know, the person has a turban on their head or they've got a magic crystal ball. When I was growing up in Wizard of Oz and a velvet tablecloth, and, like, they could see things in that crystal ball that I couldn't see. It was magic. It was like magic, okay? But it's not a special... Like, it is special, and it's not. It's not like a special club, and I really work to demystify it with people because everyone can do this. Everyone has the opportunity to become more psychic. Everybody can develop their abilities. I've certainly developed mine more, and every psychic that I've ever worked with has developed theirs over time. It's a process of practice, right? And fine-tuning and fine-tuning and fine-tuning. But ultimately, anybody has the ability to do psychic work. We just don't do that typically, you know. We're, we're in the third dimension of, like, raising kids and having relationships and, you know, um, going to our nine-to-five. Going to our nine-to-five, right? And we're just kind of in this program of what that reality is. And, and then I think people have... Some people have awakening experiences and they get more in tune with their spirituality. And that's where kind of everything starts to make more sense. And so I teach other people to use those abilities if they're interested. I certainly don't force it on anybody, but I am interested in in encouraging you on your spiritual path and journey because I think that that was the missing piece for me. I went to, it's not like I abandoned spirituality, but I was an atheist there for a while. I was very disconnected and um, I lost my faith in humanity for sure. And so that was a pretty dark time in my life. And, and where am I going with that? Um, I, I'm not trying to change people's experience of what they believe in by any means by working with them, but I do want to expand your consciousness on, um, other answers or other potential ways of, um, healing yourself. And I think that's where I was going. I think that was missing for me in that dark period of time. I was going to therapy, going to therapy, going to therapy, and I could not make any progress on really, truly healing. I understood things really logically. My ego got it. My physical body was like, yes, I get that my family has done some things and that has not been good for me. 
my emotions, right? I dealt with a lot of the emotional wounding around stuff. I totally got that too. And I think I had processed a lot of it, right? But I still had certain things continually and consistently happening in my life. And I could not figure out the missing piece. And I was on a journey to solve that myself. And so um, the spirituality piece was missing. Once I learned how to heal on an energetic level too, that's when really true deep transformation started to shift in my life. That's when I stopped um, not magnifying, um, attracting um, certain experiences over and over and over again. Um, That's when I started choosing very differently in my life. And that's when I really started to... um, will do the work that I'm doing now but ultimately yeah that's when I really started to heal and that's why I got into the work that I do is because all of the people that I was working with that were my mentors and my teachers at the time saw my ability to do what I was doing so quickly and they said oh you have to go show other people what you're learning so that's essentially when I started Brilliance Through Resilience. I also started Andrea Furbo, Psychic Cheerleader, at the exact same time. And I was just kind of seeing what took off. I didn't really know what Andrea Furbo, Psychic Cheerleader, was. Everybody else seemed to have a really good idea of what that should be for me. And that stems from, you know, initially moving here to Portland and having a major life crisis. And in doing so, um, I was looking into, at the time, I was totally into, like, survivalist techniques. Like, what would happen if, you know, it was the end of the world and I needed to, like, uh, I know how to build a fire, but, like, you know, go uh, eat edible mushrooms, okay, in the forest. Or something like that. Yeah, foraging or something like that. Or So I was really starting to develop... um, my interests in like naturopathy and um and uh herbal medicine and um essential oils and all of that when I first moved here and so I sought out like I was seeking out Miss Renee Healing I sought out a woman who lived here at the time who is my Reiki master teacher um and she had an herbalism program that I had entered into and Um, she did Reiki in combination with plant medicine. And so um, she introduced me to Reiki. And when I first walked into her office to receive a Reiki session, again, so open, no boundaries. I'm like, I'll try anything. Just heal me. Help me heal. (laughs) I have this really terrible autoimmune condition. Can you heal me? That's literally where I was. I was like, can you, anyone, anyone, anyone help me with this? Um, I'll try anything because I'm not going on medicine and I'm definitely not cutting out my thyroid and I'm not doing all of these things that they tell me I have to do. There has to be another way. That's usually how I roll. And so um, I, where was I going with that? Your smile was really cute and I got lost. Um, <laughs> what was I talking about? Plant medicine. Oh, yeah. Okay, Tara. So Tara was standing in her office and Tara looked at me and she said, um, what do you do again for work after? Okay, so Reiki blows my mind. 
And I'm like, what the heck was that? Okay. And then when we finish, I'm speeding the story up, but then when we finish, essentially she looks at me, she goes, what do you do again? And I said, uh, I'm an executive assistant. And that's how like indifferent I was about it. That's exactly how I would have introduced myself always about being an executive assistant. <laughs> I was always like, I do this thing. Everyone else tells me I'm good at it. I don't really like it, but I keep doing it because it makes a certain amount of money and everyone expects me to do it. And I was never excited about being an executive assistant. I was never like, I'm an executive assistant. Never. Okay. So it was like, I'm this executive assistant from the Bay Area. She was like, no, you're not. And I said, yeah, I am. And she goes, no, you're not. So then I started getting mad. I was like, this just shows the ego. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. I worked in the Bay Area for 20 years. I started like defending myself. And she's like, you are not an executive assistant. And I was like, I remember thinking, how did, how do you know? <laughs> and she's like, it's, she goes, it's written all over you. And I was like, I want to know what she knows about me. And so I went on this whole rabbit hole of trying to develop my abilities so that I could see that in other people too. And I was already doing it in some ways, but yes, she was, she was my first kind of, I see that you are changing and that you are creating a different path in your life and that you have been living inauthentically your entire life. And she called me out on it basically in her office. And I, like, I was totally like, snow blind I was like what are you talking about I'm an executive so she's like no 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 that's that's the old you you're you're in a different place lady you get to wake up wake up so yeah so I went through multiple awakenings in my life many times but that was a huge one for sure and I have no idea what the original question even was well, we started with, what is a commonness? <laughs> oh, about psychics! But I feel like we've really gotten to what I would consider the most common one of uh, kind of like how we perceived really anything related to psychic. Uh, and then like after working with you, what I have learned and reading and exploring and uh, just not being like, oh, I'm not like that. Like, that's never... And just, like, being like, oh, okay, this is accessible to everyone. Um, it's not like, oh, I decided I want to do this, and bam, I've got it all done. And yeah. you work on it, it, but it is accessible if that's a path that you want to choose. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for articulating that. <laughs> and I think the common misconception is that um, psychics are going to take advantage of you. Um, they're going to take advantage of what you don't know about yourself. And excuse me, if anyone ever reaches out to you, like in direct message on Instagram and is like, oh, you know, I see bad energy on you and I need to give you a reading. Yeah. Don't pay them. Okay. Um, because that's not the kind of reading that is true and honest okay then yes we do have we can attract and allow things into our energy field our energy body that aren't good for us for sure absolutely we store a lot of stuff in our energy body we absolutely do so but don't let people frighten you into 
getting a reading from them or in them being able to access things that you don't already truly know deep down within you. That's not what this is about, right? The, the person that truly is trying to help or heal is going to help you recognize your own truths, right? Um, that's why I don't give readings because, you know, if I give you a reading about the future right now and you go outside my door and um, trip down the stairs and wear an ankle brace, I don't know, for the next six months is going to change your course of the direction of your entire life and every choice that you're going to make, right? So a clairvoyant reading is really only an immediate snapshot because it could all change. That's why we don't guarantee you can never future predict what's going to happen because I can't tell you that you're going to marry that person. You could, that's on a list of multiple possibilities of reality, but ultimately that is you have free will. So you choose, you constantly are in control. Now, are there predestined events that you came down here and you have soul contracts with those people to learn? For instance, I think we've even talked about, you know, it's predestined for you to be at that retreat in Shasta with those women as much as it was for you to meet me because we agreed whether we recognize it in this third dimensional reality or we recognize it from a spiritual path is that we agreed that you would meet me at this time and I would teach you these things and if you didn't learn them then you have the free will to then go find that again but that that lesson will keep coming up for you if it was something that you wanted to do to evolve while you're here and so that is kind of the awakening experience is awakening to why you're here and a lot of people think it's super pointless right but there really are predestined reasons why you're here and the awakening process is awakening to why you came what's so special and unique that only you can do that you're supposed to be providing for everybody and so you and I had an interesting conversation about this when we first met right what is your purpose people ask me that all the time and I try to remind them like your purpose is just joy like the universe doesn't want you to suffer so as much as you can sit in joy and the things that make you happy and the things that really fulfill you and the more you can have that happen in your life that is your purpose and if that means that you love woodworking more than anything and you want to build a business out of that that is your purpose you know, if, if that means that you want two kids and they bring you so much joy and you're so happy, that is your purpose. Your purpose is to have fulfillment in your experience while you're here and to keep creating joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, where do we go from here? I'm like, wow, this is so deep. <laughs> You know, how am I creating joy in my life? Just doing a mental checklist. Uh, you're so funny. Okay. Do you do you want to ask anything else or you want to go to rapid fire? Well, would it bring you joy for me to joyfully ask you rapid fire questions? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Okay.
Definitely tea. Favorite I'm food. allergic to coffee. You're allergic to coffee. Okay, I'm sure some listeners will maybe <laughs> be like, what is this person talking about? But I am. I truly am. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard that. Yes, you can be allergic to coffee. I think it's the mold in the coffee. It, you have to take a food allergy test, and that's one of the things that I'm really allergic to is coffee. I never expected that answer, so I'm <laughs> waiting to all the time. Tea, but I love tea. tea. I'm obsessed with tea. Okay, mountains or the beach? Mountains. Okay. Writing or painting? Writing. All right. What are your sun, moon, and rising? Ah, okay. My sun is Scorpio. My moon is Pisces. My rising is Pisces. Okay. Favorite food? Probably chips. <laughs> chips. Um, okay. Your favorite type of chip. Oh my god. Um <laughs> kettle chips, but definitely there's this brand called Packy that has these nacho cheese chips that are kind of like mm, a natural version of Dorito. Okay. And I'm pretty obsessed with. <laughs> Um, favorite food, Italian. Okay. Like, if we're going to go for a genre of genre. is Italian. Or or Thai. I love Thai, too. It's really hard. Sorry. That is a hard... That's the hardest question I have for you. Okay. (laughs) In my humble opinion. Food is really hard. It's good. I love food. Favorite smell? Gosh, um, my nose is very, very sensitive. Um, God, can you be more specific? Like, favorite smell. Okay. You smell it and you're like, oh, this is my favorite smell. Okay. Well, okay, this is one of them. There are many. Um, my favorite smell is probably the way that f- um, the forest smells during autumn or like as you're crunching on Yosemite Valley's floor in the autumn, it, there's something about the dryness of the way that the trees and the, I just, I don't know, that smell is pretty magical. Mm-hmm. I love fall. What a great description. <laughs> we can all smell it with you. <laughs> it couldn't be simple. <laughs> There's some beauty in that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And that's all my questions I have for your part of the interview. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, are you ready to transition? I am ready to transition whenever you're ready. Okay. All right, I'm good. Um, so thank you for that, by the way. My pleasure. Yeah, I hope it was mildly entertaining. Oh, it was definitely entertaining. <laughs> okay, good. Um, all right, your turn. My turn. All right, where were you born and where did you grow up? We covered that, Oklahoma, but where? So I actually was born in Denver, Colorado. Okay. New, new tidbit of information for you. Um, and then I lived in Texas uh, from, like, one to third grade. And then I moved to Oklahoma, grew up the rest of the way there. Okay. What was it like to grow up in Oklahoma? Oh, wow. What a great question. <laughs> um, 
So apparently I had a very different experience than a lot of people that I talked to about uh, like schooling experiences. But um, so growing up in Oklahoma is there's a lot of uh, emphasis on family life and uh, children's activities and um, sports are really big in Oklahoma. And did you like it? Did I like it? Yeah. I never felt like I really fit in okay. in the state as a whole okay. growing up or being an adult. Um, but I did. I had really a pretty good childhood. Why did you not feel like you fit in? I was always asking a lot of questions. Uh, why this? Why that? Um, You're very curious. Like very that. curious person. And people don't really like questions. They don't want to have to think um, kind of like outside of their uh, perceived box. Or even deeply sometimes. Or even... Yes. Sometimes, or yeah. Deeply, sometimes, yeah. Um, and I just thought that there was a lot more to life um, than the box I was living in. And I was very curious to learn more about that. Um, as an adult, I recognize, like, some people really want that box, and, like, if that box makes you happy, that's fabulous. Um, and... But the box wasn't for you. The box wasn't for me, and it was really, it was not a box that kind of allowed other people in and out of the box. It was like, why isn't this box for you? Why is this lifestyle not for you? Do you hate this? Like, what is so wrong? So it was just, like, very, like... Oh, you don't like our box. Mm. So that vibe was... Uh, mm. Okay. Thank you for that. You're welcome. So, okay. Name something you cannot live without. Food. Food. I mean, <laughs> obviously on like a strategic level, you need nourishment. Yeah. But, like, the beauty... Of food, like the smell of food, just like you the, love food. I love food. I love the availability of different types of food. Yes, I love. So that would have been a really hard question for you to answer. So, what is your favorite type of food? So, I am between Italian and Mexican food. Okay. I However, I live in Portland. I forgot about that for a second. So <laughs> I lean Italian out here because we don't really have Mexican. a lot of Mexican food out here. There is some good Mexican food we can talk about. Well, I need the deets because I've been here three years. Oh, no. There's some good Mexican food. And I've gotten, like, two places out of three years. I'm like, yeah, I like this place. Okay. Yeah. No, we'll talk. Okay. Off air. Yeah. For sure. Okay. So, yes, I do really like Mexican food. I love margaritas. I really love chips and guacamole and salsa. (laughs) Favorite food is chips. My favorite is chips. So how did I forget about Mexican food? I have no idea. But, yes. Mm -hmm. You told me, yeah, to pick one. It was really hard, obviously. There are so many favorites. Okay. Um, Thank you for that. 
My pleasure. Tell me something unique or interesting about you that only those close to you would know. Ooh. <laughs> I'll answer it too if you want. Unique or interesting. About you. About me. That only those close to you might know. So give me a secret. I, <laughs> I hate hanging out in groups. And most people don't know that. Most people don't know that. Because, like, I will hang out in groups. Like, it's a thing that you do. Uh, I don't like birthday parties that are in groups. Like, for myself, like, you know, my 21st birthday, everyone was like, let's get together. And I was like, this is, like, the absolute, <laughs> not what I want to do. For my <laughs> I like one-on-one so -on -one conversations. Me too. I like being able to connect. Um, I'm getting better at group stuff. Me too. But... It is definitely not my preferred way to hang out. And all my close friends are like, oh, I hang out with you, like, and we have our time. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> you know, we're never really with a group of your friends. No, you know? no. So. No. Um, Very rarely are you going to meet all of my friends in one place unless you go to a retreat with me. Well, and you would have to bring a lot of people together from a lot of different places at this point i've got a lot of friends in a lot of places mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so you don't like groups oh. all right what are you naturally gifted in problem solving you are that would be my I agree. You're really good at problem solving. Um, when I first met you, I hope you don't mind that I kind of jump in with some of your questions and answers. Um, when I first met you, you rem and I know I've told you this, you remind me in some aspects, not in all, but in some aspects, you remind me a lot of a younger version of me, your curiosity for things definitely reminds me of me wanting to get to the bottom of things and to problem solve. You problem solve differently. Your your brain is much more on the mathematical end of the spectrum than mine is. Yeah, it is. I, well, naturally, I think, yes, that comes to you a lot easier than it comes to me. How about that? So, but, yes. Um, that we're with, yeah, I lost, got lost again. Um, okay, so let's ask you the next question now about that. Okay. What is, what was it like to grow up in your family? What was it like to grow up in my family? Hmm. It's a very complex question, isn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. So how so, about you share whatever you were comfortable sharing? What's the first thing that comes to mind? So the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, my parents don't really listen to the Beatles, like, at all. But that all you need is love song. Anytime there was a conflict, my mom would just be like, okay, sit down and hold hands and sing the all you need is love song, which is a very, like, hippy-dippy thing to do. Uh, for my family. I did not know this about you. <laughs> okay, keep going. 
So um, in some ways, obviously, that can be very great. Although it's also kind of bypassing that there's an issue that needs to be taken care of. So if we were to sum up my family in one story, that's it. That's it. Oh my God, that's so good of you. I love it. That does kind of describe how you were brought up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good job. Um, you have a background of surviving some and overcoming some pretty major trauma. Are you ready to switch gears into that? Ready when you're ready. Okay. So you and I connected initially because we both have sexual trauma and it's similar. Um, and it happened pretty early for me, not as early for me as maybe for you when it comes to the sexual trauma, but um, we both had that um, experience of rape, right, and what that is like. So you and I connected immediately just upon having gone through that experience and what that was like in our relationship with our families afterwards and how we dealt with that in our families um, and how it reverberated out into our sex lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, and how it directly impacted who we partnered with and what our sex life looked like after that. We really, really connected, I think, on that aspect as well as the religious aspect. Right, so you have some religious trauma as well. Um, And I touched on this on some other episodes, but, you know, I grew up with a very religious background too, but mine was different than yours in the sense that mine was all kind of for show. Um, You want to tell us a little bit more about you grew up with very, very religious parents and a very religious family, which made and informed you on some pretty big choices in your life. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what it was like? So my dad is a preacher's kid, and my mom is a Christian counselor who works with her mom at a Christian counseling center um, that she owns. And... um, I grew up Assemblies of God, which, you know, uh, I've seen them here in Oregon. One of the many versions, flavors of Christianity that you can be. Uh, and so I, Oklahoma's in the Bible Belt. So not only was it like a family aspect, it was a cultural aspect. You go to church on Sundays. Um, unlike Oregon, I guess, uh, or what I've heard. Um, I was in church on Sunday morning. I was in church on Sunday night. I was in church on Wednesday night. And, you know, my current partner is like, I had to go to church on Sundays. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, did you also do this, this, and this? And he's like, oh, I was there for like an hour and a half. And I thought, well, I could be out hiking during this time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I was there Sunday morning. And like at least two hours in the morning, I was there at least two hours Sunday night. I was there at least like an hour and a half Wednesdays. He was like, oh, why am I complaining about this? Yeah. And I was like, it's different. It's a different vibe. It's a different vibe. It's even a different vibe when I went to Catholic high school, right? Because we were always having mass and we were always having religion class and it was around me all the time. Yeah. 
and then you're going to specific events and you're doing mass before the events and it's like you're always doing communion you're always you know you're always in it and yeah as a teenager for me at a certain point I was just like there are so many other things that I'd like to be focused on right now besides this in my life um and so that curiosity similar to you I was like how did how are other people doing this right Um, I'm not against religion necessarily but I was definitely more curious in having more freedom than I was given in religion and that's for sure I bumped up against that and you know Catholic school uh so like we're you know we're all Christians, but my parents, not my parents, certain people in my family would be like, oh, well, the Catholics are like a weird version of Christianity. Like, right. So you, so it's judge, like, it's like, you judge us. And then, yeah. So then my experience, I even touched on this earlier, too, is that I went to Christian school. I show up at Catholic school and they're like, no, no, no everyone's a Christian. Now we're going to teach you what religion is. And so I was so hostile because I was like, you just minimized my experience of all of this experience that I've had with God, with Jesus, who I think that is in my life. And you are telling me that that is totally meaningless. And now you're going to teach me exactly what the right way is and no one knows what the right way is first of all the right way is for you right so yeah I had a problem with religion too obviously I'm still still getting worked up about it um yeah didn't mean to steal your show there but is uh it is a triggering topic for a lot of people mm-hmm. um and it's always interesting kind of holding space and listening to how it has affected a multitude of people um you know we're not back hundreds of years ago having people dying over it right right in right. first world countries necessarily right, right. uh although we do have you know, mass shootings that are based on yes. certain religious principles. For sure. Um, so people are still dying yes. over it. It's just not as in your face as it was a few hundred years ago. Yes. And uh, it's very interesting to learn about each person's different experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you and I had that both in common <clears throat> in our history. Um, so we bonded over that. Um, where was I going with that? Okay, so, yes. Can you tell us more about how these specific chronic traumas disrupted your sense of safety within your family? Do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Let's see here. Disrupted my sense of safety within my family. So I was the oldest of four. Um, I was the only girl, uh, child. And so already kind of managing things on top of things, taking care of things. All the brothers. All the brothers. Um, being the mom. Yes, being the mom to uh, like parents and children, kind of mm-hmm. going both ways with that. Mm-hmm. And me too. The uh, the sense of safety was very much um, like I can do this for myself. 
I'll just handle everything because if I'm doing it, like I will give myself that sense of safety. Uh, which, yes, independence is good, although also brought with it codependence. And um, because sometimes when you are trying to make everything safe, um, there's situations that you want to control so that you have a safer outcome. And that is managing other people's feelings and their reactions and, uh, I guess, a form of manipulation. Uh, For sure. To try to reduce the effects on you. Yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's very, it can be very selfishly motivated. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, when you're a kid, it is like, how am I going to avoid, you know, this reaction that I don't want or don't want to deal with? Mm -hmm. And then when you become an adult, you're like, oh, I am an adult. Yes. What does that mean? Yes. How does that, uh, how do I act in relation to other adults in the world? Um, even though, you know, you always, like I was taught, you respect your elders and basically everyone above you is almost like better than you in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like switching that paradigm to being like, we're on the same playing level now. Mm-hmm. Um, and regardless of maybe how you feel about my decisions, I can make my own decisions. I will make my own decisions. Um, And it doesn't have to be like an A, ah, fuck everything, I'm going to do what I want kind of way. But um, definitely in a learning to set boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've really been learning boundaries, healthier boundaries for you. Healthier boundaries. It's you and I have, yeah, have some history on that, working together and also recreating that in a more authentic way. So I think what you were touching on earlier is being more authentic, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Creating more authenticity with who you are now as opposed to who you're expected to be or how you were raised to be in relationship to your family. And that creates more security than trying to put that outside of you, right? Because when we're trying to when I mean I think it's really easy when you come from a background of trauma that you and we all have but when you come from a background of trauma it's really easy to focus on what has happened to you and I spent many many years of my life focused on the people outside of me and what they had done to me and how that it impacted me and I think it's really good to understand all of those things but I did it in an effort I think to try and control my environment and try to maybe rationalize why I needed space from that or whatever. And the more I started to focus on me and taking care of me when I was around other people and having better boundaries around that, the more safe I actually became in my body and in my mind and in my emotions, the more I bring the focus back to me every single time, the more I have control over what happens, right? More control over what happens. So, yeah. So, mm -hmm. okay. What hurdles have you personally faced and how have you overcome them? 
that is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whatever you're willing to share. Hurdles. I'm trying to think. Uh, okay. How about specific challenges in your life? Do you have a theme of things that you've had to overcome? I think uh, money and financial hurdles. Um, really? Yes. In regards to how? Um, in regards to not really having it growing up as a child and then um, trying to not bring the, uh, I forget the like technical term for it, but like the uh, like poor mindset to scarcity. my, yeah, scarcity mindset to my uh, like adult life. Uh, which is something that I still, like, work on because, uh, you know, financial security is a type of being able to control the security and safety of your surroundings. It is also a necessity. It is a necessity. It is a necessity. And, and it's very, very important to maneuver, right, in this world. Yeah. It is, it is important to, to have sense of security around that and we tend to take on our parents modeling for how their relationships are with money and how they spent money around us and how they talked about money with us and how yeah how money was handled is a lot of times modeled to us well all the time modeled to us by our parents until we choose differently or educate ourselves further or do some healing around our first chakra right or you know do some sort of um pushing through that boundary of what we are deserving of and the fact that we can create the life that we want yes so that was definitely a hurdle okay. that I still am working on more okay. with the mindset around. But um, so then the hurdle of uh, sexual abuse at a young age and then the uh, kind of repercussions of that not being out in the open, everything's hidden, mm-hmm. uh, not really understanding because at the time uh, I didn't know what was happening mm-hmm. um so not even really gaining like, a conscious understanding had some questions uh but they were kind of like pushed under the rug um and then became an adult and I was like oh like hmm, that that's not right mm-hmm. um, to not even having awareness around the abuse or that it was abuse yeah yeah Mm-hmm. Um, and worked with some people who had backgrounds, sexual trauma themselves, mm-hmm. helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and that started really important. Yeah. Yes. Uh, kind of like that validating aspect. Mm-hmm. So, and that started back in Oklahoma, um, and has been like a long journey. Mm-hmm. And so that is a hurdle. Sorry, I didn't mean to use that particular word. No, I was just like, that's so funny. Uh, my brother broke his arm jumping hurdles. Uh, oh, did he? Yeah, he was He was going to be going to state, and it was like one of the last regionals. And uh, a, another kid accidentally knocked his own hurdle, which knocked into my brother's hurdle. Oh, and it caught his leg while he was in the process oh, of jumping. Oh, 
the whole thing. I bet it He's was. He's got like a plate in his arm and like 17 screws or something. But wow. Yes. So I'm just like thinking of hurdles. hurdles. Yeah. 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 It's hard when you're asked these questions because your mind can go in 10 different directions. It's, a lot of directions. I learned that while you were asking me. And then I'm like, what did you even ask me? Um, it's easy for me to yeah, get lost. Okay. Um, let's see. What are your fears or what keeps you awake at night? I would say that most of my fears are more self-based. Okay. Um, fear of not being good enough. Okay. A lot of like perfectionist style fears. Okay. Um, and one that I have been actively, consciously working on and moving away from is uh, fear that I'm not living the life that people think I should be living in a certain way. So mm -hmm. I will incur the wrath of hell mm, afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Yeah. Because you dealt with that for a really long time. Yes. So, yeah. um, I've made a lot of progress you on that one. really have. I commend you for that. Yeah. You. You're welcome. And I appreciate you admitting it too. Yeah. It's, we're here to be real. Yes. So, I know. On that note, uh, fear of trust. Like, I have a very difficult time trusting Testing. other people. Yes. And that definitely shows. Mm -hmm. um, and then I try to take it all on myself. Mm -hmm. And then that's not good either. Um, so, trying to be less fearful of others and the lessons that they have that I'm supposed to learn through them and not just be like, oh, another person I can't count on. Like, I have to do it all myself. Mm. And then with that, surrounding myself with people that I don't have to feel that way around. Mm. Having better discernment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good for you. Um, there's so many ways I could go with that. I'm just looking at the other questions because we have been talking for a while. Okay, let's see. Um, let's talk about love for a second. What makes you feel loved? You're going to laugh, but when people cook or bake for me, I'm like, oh, I'm so loved. They put their time and their energy because we're talking about food again. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but it's the way that you feel comforted. And I imagine that in your home environment when you were growing up, like you have some really good memories around meals. That's my guess. Yes. At the deep center of you creating home and family and security, there's these meals that you've had that have been really, really formative either in a very profound way and a great way or in, in some very terrible meals too at like my family, right? A lot of things sur surrounding food in my family and, you know, dining room table. I used to hide around the dining room table, which is kind of interesting underneath, right? So that has to do with meals too. That's a big thing. That's how we spend... That's how we spend the most quality time together is when everyone is present. You know, they teach you in parenting when you're raising kids 
that that's like, are you all having a meal together? My parents uh, put a lot of focus and a lot of effort on meals, meals, being around the table together. Yes. Um, and that's how you feel loved. That is how I feel loved. And uh, that has to do with our love languages. You know, our love languages are really just aspects of the things that we really appreciated when we were kids that we have going around. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, um, the like time and effort that goes into someone like preparing that, and then the time I get to spend like talking with you afterwards, um, which also kind of goes with like. I like to see friends when we, like, go out and eat. Like, we're doing something together. You and I have had lots of tea with good desserts and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. So, Mm -hmm. that is how, like, I most feel loved. That's really sweet, Sarah. That's really sweet. Um, Okay, last question. What has been your greatest lesson in love? Oh, greatest lesson in love. Mm Mm-hmm. It's hard, huh? Well, like, I kind of have, like, a theme. Okay. And I'm trying to figure out a word. Okay. theme. Um, Not in a, like, you have to love yourself before you love anyone else, because I really do feel like there's something about, like, a pure love of, like, other people and, like, uh, like, friends and family that, like, also helps inform your love of yourself. For sure. But finding that love inside of me so that I am not so caught up in finding it in other people for myself. Ah, I love this. So it's not like, oh, you can't love anyone until you love yourself. But it is a, if you don't know how to love yourself, you're kind of looking for that, searching for that. For sure. And it also, uh, you know, like rejection-wise, it hurts a lot more when you have issues with people. uh, And it really helps take, like, some of that personalness, like... Taking it personal. Yeah. Out of it. Yeah. So... Still working on it, still learning. I'm not an expert. Carl, you, you're doing great. But you, and like I have told you on many occasions, you are way past where I was when I was your age. I wish I could give you the perspective, but yeah, you, maybe you can take my word for it. I don't know, but um, you are doing great. You're doing great. You. you will be working on lots of things for the rest of your lives, just like I'm still working on so many things, right? You just think that, you know, people my age have it all figured out or that people at the end of their lives have it all figured out and none of us have it figured out. We're still figuring it out. So you will be unveiling new things to work on if you so choose at any point in your life, right? You will continue to unfold and that's the most beautiful part about life. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all of the things that you were willing to share with me. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. It was delightful getting to interview you. I am like, oh, maybe I like podcasting. I oh, know. we should talk. Yeah. I, 
I'm a very curious person. You I've got that dream I grew. You are so. very curious. I think podcasting would be really fun for you. We should definitely talk about that. Mm-hmm. I'd love that for you. And thank you for your curiosity. Thank you for the questions that you came up with. And um, thank you so much for your just being so open with me. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. All right.